Hello and welcome to the Romantic Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Kiner, a sexuality and spirituality coach and healer. And thank you for joining me on this wild ride together through the realms of sex and healing so that you can expand, heal and grow sexually and spiritually. Each episode, I will entertain and educate you through wild stories from my own life, bring you interviews with interesting people who come into my orbit and empower you into your own liberation through sexuality, where together we can change the world one orgasm at a time. Hello everyone and welcome. I have a very exciting conversation today, one that I'm very much looking forward to having myself. (laughs) A lot of juicy, I've got a lot of questions running through my mind for the wonderful Alex Grandy. Thank you for being here, Alex. Thank you for having me. So Alex is a men's coach who specifically helps men overcome performance anxiety in the bedroom. And uh, to give you a bit of a background on me, Alex, because you also know nothing about me. (laughs) We've been introduced by a mutual friend here in Bali. And um, it's just perfect because your world is something that I'm quite inexperienced in. I was in a same-sex relationship for 13 years. So at 33, 34, when I went through my divorce... I kind of went back into the world of having sex with men and it was an entire complicated process. It was a whole nother coming out experience to be like, oh my God, this is so straight. This is so normal. And then years later coming to the final resolution that I actually am very bisexual and realizing that there's just so much complexity in owning our sexual identity, especially as we evolve and grow and change with time anyway. So my experience with men feels somewhat limited. I think for most people, by the time they turn 40, they have far more sexual experience with men than me, unless they identify strictly as a lesbian. So although I help a lot of men, I still have these areas in my mind where I feel like this little sense of inadequacy of like, oh, I don't know what that would be like. And, you know, you shared with me that you, you specifically help premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction. And they're two things that I have no experience with. I think the the choices that I've made as I've got back into the world of sexuality with men, the kind of men that I choose, being an overtly sexual person myself, is other very passionate people and people who've really committed to evolving and developing their sexuality. So because of that, because of the commitment to that area of life, it's, it tends not to manifest with these problems. And I'm not to say that that's not to say that the men that I've slept with haven't dealt with this at some point in their life, but the time that I choose their appropriateness as a partner for me, these things aren't really present. So it's more so the women that I help who share that they've had men with these problems, or some men have approached me about this stuff, but my personal experience with it is really quite limited. So I'm very excited to hear what you have to say and to hear your wisdom and for my listeners to also hear your wisdom to help the men in their lives. We only have about 25% men in our audience generally. uh, And those men are fucking amazing. They are really forthcoming, wonderful contributors to my audience. Um, But yeah, I'm just very excited to dive into this. So maybe you want to share a little bit about how you came to work in erectile dysfunction and and premature ejaculation? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just did a podcast yesterday and I always think whenever I do a podcast, I always leave out something and be like, Mm. oh, I wish I said that, but I'll try to get it all. And um, (laughs) so from the start, I grew up in a very sexually liberal family. My parents were talking about sex at a very early age in front of me. 
um, that they had sex regularly and that sex in a relationship was important and normal. And they also were, you know, my father in particular always boasted and, and detailed how other parents weren't having sex and that, mm-hmm. you know, this was something that they did and he was very proud of. Um, so at the time, quite embarrassing and just like too much information, but, you know, in hindsight that, that shaped me a lot. It made me very comfortable talking about sex. I was someone, uh, in like the third, fourth, fifth grade, like teaching everyone what a blowjob was, you know? And um, so that felt sex really... ed- Once a sex educator, always a sex educator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was just like something that felt normal and natural to me uh, to speak about it. But once I started having sex, it wasn't that... I wasn't very comfortable, actually. I wasn't having amazing experiences. Uh, I I experienced a lot of performance anxiety and fear and nervousness, um, worrying about, you know, am I going to last long enough? Am I going to be big enough? And, you know, what are they going to tell their friends about me kind of thing where it was a lot less about just enjoying sex and having a good time. And it was very much a performance for me and something I kind of needed to get done or get through, you know, mm. and that kind of was my sexual experience for from start to like the next 15 years where I was having a lot of sex, um, but it just wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't like my highest potential of sexual pleasure and experience. I wasn't connecting deeply. Um, so various things led me down a path to connect deeper to myself and, um, I, I don't mention this often, but sobriety was a big factor in um, me being able to connect to myself. I wasn't dependent on marijuana. Uh, that was something I used to use every single day to kind of numb myself. And I used it every time before sex. Like even if I was getting intimate with my partner, I'd be like, hold on, can I like go smoke real quick? Um which is sad to think back on. But um, once I started connecting deeper to myself, I started to learn uh, a lot more about some of these ancient practices like Taoism and Tantra. And I was like, ooh, this is cool. You know, like thousands of years ago, people were learning how to pleasure women deeper or experience full body pleasure themselves. And that was like, oh yeah, I want to get better at this. I want to learn more about this. And I just kept diving deeper and deeper. And, you know, I, I, like I said before, I always felt really comfortable talking about it. And I, I, you know, I knew quite a bit for, I thought. Um, so I was speaking with a friend at one point and he was like, you should be a sex coach. And I was <laughs> like, I have no idea what that is. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, I had never heard of one before, so I I was very interested. I was intrigued, and I went and did some research. He was working with one in particular, contacted him immediately, contacted a bunch um, that I kind of found through a rabbit hole and just worked with them all. And I was like, all right, what's this all about? Um, And I was just shocked and blown away. I was someone who'd had a lot of sex and sexual experiences so I thought I would, you know, if anyone knew a lot, it was me. And and it was just like so humbling immediately. I was like, wow, I know nothing. 
-hmm. And um, I, I just started to completely change my sexual experience. I was experiencing so much more pleasure, so much more confidence, so much more connection. And it, it happened so fast for me, like in just a few weeks, these like huge wow, shifts. And I thought, oh my God, like to me, it's not that complicated. You know, it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. simple. Um, it doesn't mean it like it's easy for everyone, but like how to actually do this is simple. And I just felt I have to share this with everyone. You know, I know what it's like to feel so inadequate and then to mm -hmm. now you know, having sex be something that I felt was maybe one of like the weaker sides to me. And now having it be something that I feel is one of my biggest strengths. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like completely changed my life, frankly. That's amazing. I have a million questions I'm trying to retain in my head, not to forget it all. <laughs> the first thing that came up was how many people do you think, or men specifically, settle at that place and don't strive for more and say okay this is it like this is what sex looks like or like how many people do you think are out there having that experience where they may lack confidence where they're not getting that connected i'm gonna make it up because i don't know um but i would say like 99 percent of men just settle for what their current sexual experience is they're like oh this is yes. pretty good like ejaculation is totally fun agree i would totally agree that they're the statistics like uh, and even in women because i work with more women than i do with men so many of them say to me no i don't need your work erin like my sex life is fine and yeah. i'm like girl if you're settling for what the world has told you is normal there's so much more but you know there's huge layers of shame and inadequacy that people don't necessarily want to look at where they're underperforming but i'm just like if you haven't done this work there's no way that you know this stuff like the the tiniest minute amount of people might naturally pursue their sexual potential without guidance from others or without learning systems or having mentors or anything like that. But for the vast majority of people, there's just this massively untapped reservoir of sexual potential sitting inside them that they don't even know about or want to look at or have a desire to do the work that it takes to get there. Yeah. And I think it's easy for us, like sitting on the other side to think, oh, you're missing out on so much. Like you could be experiencing so much more, but like what they don't know, they don't know. They're exactly. like, I like what I do, you know, it's fine for me. And and to me, to them, it just might be amazing. They don't mm -hmm. know that it could be more amazing. And mm -hmm. they're like, what do I need to, you know, work on this for if I already like what I have? Yeah. Um, Would which you is say sad. You it is. But, to me, it's sad. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say. Would you identify as the kind of person that does strive for excellence in many areas of your life? Are you a potential driven person generally? Yeah, I definitely would consider mm. that. And and me especially too. when it's something that I'm passionate about, I, I if I'm going to lift weights, like I want to know how to do it right. And I want to do it really well. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to diet super strict. And when I started learning about sexual practices, I was like, I want to do this the right way. And I want to work with mm -hmm. every coach and I want to know what each person has to offer and, and try to maximize my potential. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's, I guess, not everyone yeah. in certain exactly. areas it is, but it is, it always eludes me that like, you know, especially really successful people, we pay for business coaches, trainers, and all of these things, consultants, 
And this one just kind of like gets swept under the rug, like this idea that you can improve your sex life when it it has such a dramatic impact on every aspect of your life. And it just feels like no one really knows about it. No one knows that they can work on their sex life, that they can improve this and it will improve everything for them. Yeah. So it's very much an untapped resource. Agreed. I had a male client recently who his resistance was like, it's natural. Sex is natural. And I'm like, yeah, movement is natural too. (laughs) And how many people don't move well? And when you have that guide, when you have someone spotting you in the gym, how much better could things be by just someone who knows better than you being able to like, hey, have you tried this? As simple Mm -hmm. as in a squat as like, I notice that your hips are out of alignment here. If you did it like this and then all of a sudden you can start lifting heavier weights because your body's in more alignment. I see sexuality is exactly the same. And I feel very sad. I think it's the difference between men and women, like you said before, is that for men, if they're going to ejaculate, it's considered pretty good sex. Like they have an orgasm. The motivation isn't high. I've said this to my female clients for a long time. Our range of good to bad is massive. Mm. Like we can have really, really, really bad sexual experiences quite commonly or quite easily, depending on the partner that you're choosing to be with. And so the motivation to get out of that bad range is much more high, but that also drives women to just, A, I think we've got more vulnerability granted to us by society to investigate this kind of stuff. It's not necessarily so closely entwined with our identity as a woman, whereas I can see with men, their sexual performance is greatly tied to how they feel about themselves as a man. So if they're going to look at it, then their first step is to acknowledge that they're not good at it or that there's room to grow. And a lot of men don't have the confidence to do so. They don't want to start at that place by acknowledging, shit, I've got to work on myself. But for women, it's like, well, it's so fucking bad. <laughs> like the experience that I've had is so unsatisfying for me. I have to get out of here. And so the, the desire for growth is there, but also, you know, our orgasmic potential is very, very large as well. And so it's quite easy to tap into those multi-orgasmic states. I know that's there for men too, but maybe it's a little bit harder or uh, it's further up Mount Everest <laughs> to get to that place where men are truly multi-orgasmic and full body orgasms and such. But for women, most people, I would say that, well, you said it too, but it doesn't take much to start the change. But I would say that women's sexuality is so complex. It's it's very, very complex, uh, the desire and the arousal states for women. It's so individual for everyone. And then we have a lot of layers of shame and patriarchal conditioning, you know, the social consequences of what it means to be a highly sexual woman in society is much greater. The layers of slut shaming are much higher, things like that. So I think while we're more motivated to do it sometimes, the what we have to push through to get there is also bigger, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how to quantify that, but I, I definitely understand what you're saying. I think with men, society is telling us that you have to be good at sex or you're not a mm-hmm. man. So that's mm-hmm. a pretty big pressure to have as that's a true. man. And it's a big hurdle to, like you said, kind of swallow your pride and be like, oh, maybe I'm not good at this. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal for a guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because what what are the implications of that? That he's not a man, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so 
even when I meet someone, I say I'm a men's sex coach, you know, it's quite startling for people. I think like nine out of 10 times, it's like, what, you know, what did you say? You know, and for some men, there's a reaction of just like, oh, no, 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 like, I'm good. Like, I'm fine. And I'm like, <laughs> exactly. I didn't say anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't even say anything. I just said my profession. <laughs> Hello, projection. <laughs> it's just, it's confronting. I can understand, yeah. you know, and, and they immediately, yeah, just go somewhere else where they're like, wait, am I, should I? And like, no, nope, I'm good. I'm good. Um, which is usually <laughs> a sign, but yeah, I think, yeah, this work isn't for everyone. People will, will hopefully do it whenever they're ready. Um, mm. but yeah, I think part of our responsibility is to, to help people become more ready, you know, to be comfortable mm -hmm. with it, to just be like, who, mm -hmm. fuck it, who cares, you know? And yeah. if, if this can increase your pleasure and happiness and love life and connection, like, why wouldn't you try? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like exactly the same. If there's more to learn, why do we not? Why do we not enjoy that process? Because like we develop ourselves in so many ways. It's just developing ourselves down this pathway. It comes with orgasms. <laughs> I'm like, I'd rather learn about myself and face my shit in this realm where the reward is pleasure than to do it, you know, <laughs> getting smacked down by life. And, you know, I think if we don't pay attention to those subtle signs of where life is asking us to grow and with a little gentle tap on the shoulder, then we get smacked down like if it's our time mm. to learn that lesson, we're going to learn that fucking lesson. <laughs> mm. So I would, I'm curious, I'd love to know, how would you define what it means for a man to be a good lover? What makes a man mm. a good lover? I think a lot of things. Um, being able, so someone asked me yesterday, what's my like sexual superpower? And I think being able to create safety in the bedroom mm is Boom. is Mic pretty drop. much <laughs> yes 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 that's number yeah. one for me you know and and i'm working with men predominantly who experience premature ejaculation so they're in this like heightened stress state mm -hmm. more often than not and to be able to if you're in a stress state around a woman they're not going to be able to to surrender and relax and be yes. able to you know, they're going to feel that energy and, and, and be just as nervous or anxious. So I think like step one and one of the biggest keys is to, to bring that groundedness and regulation into the relationship. And, and it starts with you. And when you, if your partner is feeling anxious and you're just this like tree, you know, like anchored and grounded and they can just feel like, ah, oh, like feel safe and comfortable to finally like let go and drop down and let their guard down. That's when the most pleasure connection and uh, magic happens. I so agree. And I was kind of connecting with someone recently testing the waters for our compatibility. And I was the one that felt like a tree. I actually described it as my friends. Like I felt like the mountain. Like I can hold the masculine polarity very comfortably and I've done a lot of work on my inner masculine and I love that energy that I can hold of integrity and safety and trust and leadership. And I see the way the women in my world all need that and want that. And I was like, God, I can't fuck all the women. 
<laughs> I was like, I see what they want and need, but it's a lot of pressure. And you might feel the same way, knowing that you're providing something that women will respond so positively to that's actually pretty rare to find. There is a sense of like, oh, the men need to be doing this. The men need to be providing this, not just in the sexual realms, but just to have the matured masculine grounded masculine presence on the planet at this time i think is in short supply so my word for 2023 is daddy <laughs> I'm, like, I'm daddy now <laughs> i will hold this energy for you all because i see how much they transform the women in my world transform even non-sexually but just to be in that presence from me so i started this kind of connection with this guy to check the sexual compatibility and he just felt like this little teenage girl mosquito like unstable thing getting very flustered with me and like getting way too attached to and I was like wow no <laughs> that's so not what I'm looking for in my sexual connections but particularly from the masculine what I'm looking for is someone who's a bigger tree than me Mm -hmm. who's even safer than I am so that I can let it all go. And I've got that place to surrender where I know that when I surrender into you, you've got me. If you're, if you're so fickle that your state is changing because of what I'm expressing or what I'm going through or anything like that, then yeah, it's not a safe place. And so we just put the armor back on or we don't take it off in the first place. And we're like, well, I'm never really going to open like you can't, especially on the emotional plane, I find so many women in my world don't have men with high levels of emotional intelligence and attunement to really be present with a woman's emotions and know how to work that energy or know how to move that energy, especially sexually. You know, to just be present with a woman's heart as it's opening is almost guaranteed to be a, an inflow of emotional energy into the container. Like as much as heart opening is such a beautiful thing to have a man that yeah, you're falling in love with, I guarantee there's so much past pain <laughs> that's going to come out at the same time. Like the relief of having a man that does make you feel safe. Oh, here comes all the pain of every time I haven't felt safe as well. And so if a man's not showing signs of being able to hold that emotional capacity and help move that without taking it on board, then I also find like, oh, okay, emotional safety isn't there. You know, not just physical safety, but mental safety, emotional safety. And for me, it is, sex is a very spiritual experience too. So I also want to know that if I'm going to open up spiritually or share my mystical experiences or like share the energetic experiences that I'm having, that that person's capable of at least witnessing it. Even if they can't meet me in that space, that they're not going to judge it or criticize it or shut it down or think it's weird. So I think that safety component is absolutely massive. So thank you for bring in the safety <laughs> women everywhere are rejoicing and celebrating you <laughs> and the work that you're doing <laughs> thank you and i love what you say about the premature ejaculation being a nervous system state do you want to share a little bit more about what are the causes like what is this body of knowledge all about men with suffering with premature ejaculation yeah, sure. So it, it usually starts, like I said, where it could be stress from daily life. Maybe it's your job or your relationship, but nothing sexually related. If your body's in that sympathetic state where it's just like heavy chest breathing and, and tightness and constricted, like your body's going to want a release. It's going to want to let go of that tension. Mm. And as soon as you get into this like sexual arousal state in this high sympathetic state, it it's like 
you're signaling your body that you need an ejaculation. Fuck. That makes so much fucking sense. That is so clear to me and so simple to me that the body's like, okay, here's our release point. <laughs> and like, thank yeah. God, because we've got all this to release. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I think back and, and consider some of my friends at home who, I, I won't say specifically my friends at home, um, but people I know who use ejaculation as a stress release, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. I'm so wound up, I need to go home and masturbate to porn because that that's what they're feeling in their body. They're, it's just like such a high level of stress that they just need this like pressure valve to release. So if they're not being intimate with someone and they're not having that like premature ejaculation experience, they'll just mm -hmm. go and release it themselves. So instead of actually changing why they're stressed, they continue this loop of like, I'm stressed a nine out of 10 at all times. And then I get this brief, you know, whatever, 10 second ejaculation break mm -hmm. that then like drops down my tone and I can go to sleep at night, you know? Mm -hmm. And and it's, it is that bad to the point like kind of rushing home. Like I just need to, jerk off and like get my mind back because being in that sympathetic state all day is killing you essentially mm -hmm. you're just like your adrenals yeah. are flooding and you're just running on empty mm. um, as a energetically sensitive woman i can a hundred percent feel the difference between when if you're receiving a man's ejaculation but when you're receiving one that is literally using you almost like a trash can, do you know what I mean? Like I am discharging this into you or you're they're using you as the role for that stress relief mm. versus a man that's offering you his ejaculation as a, as an offering to fill you and to nourish you and to, to give you energy. Like there's such a distinct difference in that for me, like the mindset, whether that's conscious or unconscious, there is a sense of like, okay, I need your body now to jerk off with basically mm -hmm. for my own benefit rather than the men who deeply understand, like I can fill you with my energy now. And that's a positive thing. That's a gift that I'm giving you to nourish you and to fill you in all the ways that you might be empty and to reach the parts of you that are yeah, when I think about women's sexuality, there really comes with this yearning feeling. Like we're craving to be met deeply. We're craving to be seen deeply. We're craving to be loved deeply. And a man can use his sexual energy to reach those parts of you that have felt empty for a long time. But if a man's using you more as like a cum bucket, <laughs> it's, it's so depleting for us too. You know, like, yeah, sure, bodies are touching. I'm being penetrated. We're going through the motions of sexuality. But the energetics of that sexuality is only sending us further down the path that we actually don't want to go on. And sadly, I think many, many, many women, when I think about the dating world here in Chenggu, you know, like the common dating culture is very high turnover, partners, nights out, alcohol. You know, if you come and you realize this is a party town and it's sex island, you could literally have sex a hundred times a day if you wanted to with a hundred different people. <laughs> Like, honestly, we could literally go out and find a hundred people in a week to have sex with. And that kind of sex is just so depleting and not at all satisfying. 
but many women don't actually know it can be better than that. If, if that's what you're seeing and that's what's being demonstrated for you and that there's no one else waving the flag to say, hey guys, look, look at what's possible, then I see women just accepting the status quo and not, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know how deeply nourishing it can be to actually receive a man's ejaculatory energy, whether that's with ejaculate or not, but like to feel filled by a man energetically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually is just like such a transcendent experience. You literally walk around the world for days with your eyes rolling in your head and your tongue lolling out the side of your mouth and you're just like, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I got fucked so well. <laughs> and you're overflowing for days. Like literally I've been in that state for three days before. I can feel that certainly my heart chakra is literally like pouring out an abundance of energy because I was finally filled in the ways that my being has been craving to be filled. <laughs> yeah. And what yeah. comes to mind for me is like, it's all about intention. So mm. if you're going to sleep with a partner and you, you, you know, it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, like be clear as to why you want to connect, you know? And if it is for a quickie, like, and your partner agrees to that, like, then that's fine to me, you know, you can still enjoy that or not enjoy it nearly as much as being filled in the way you're talking about. But mm. um, I don't want to say compromise, but, you know, still have an experience in that way. Or you can say no and be like, no, I don't want to have any experiences that aren't deeply connected and spiritual. Um, mm -hmm. So to me, that's just a choice. Um, and I think when you're talking about here, women have a choice and mm -hmm. they often choose the wrong choice. <laughs> so <laughs> that's on them, you know, like mm -hmm. ask some more questions. If you want to date someone who knows is deeply connected to themselves, is grounded in their spirituality and sexuality, like, find out, ask them, you know, mm -hmm. understand about their sexual experience before you just sleep with someone and see if they are open to talking about it. See if they are open to trying new things or if they're like super defensive and have an ego. Oh, don't worry. I'm great in bed. You know, like mm -hmm. you can get data to understand, mm -hmm. is this someone who you think will be a good lover? And mm -hmm. I never sleep with someone unless we talk about sex first. Same. It's not even a consideration. Like, I yeah. want you to know what I like. I want to know what you like. I want to know what you're capable of. I want to know if there's, if you get excited talking about sex or if it's uncomfortable for you. Like, these are data points. You could be wrong, of course, sometimes. Uh, you know, I was with someone who like, was so shy talking about sex. And so it made me think, oh, like she's probably never had an orgasm, um, but she was extremely orgasmic and opened up once that started. Mm. It's not mm -hmm. perfect science, but like, I think we can learn so much about our partners having a conversation first. And if you're meeting people out at bars or clubs and then going home and having sex, like, how could you expect that to be a good experience? It could be, it, it happens occasionally, I bet, but more often than not, 
that's not going to be a good experience. So know it and just like yeah. take it at face value. Yeah, I I agree with everything that you said, but I also want to give a bit of a caveat to say the the choice is on women, yes, and the power is in their hands, yes, and sometimes the reason why they're making the choice is if you think about the women who are constantly going from toxic relationship to toxic relationship, there might be some inner knowing for them that they want more or they shouldn't be there. And yet there's some reason why they keep going back. And sometimes I think we have some layers of trauma and conditioning and attachment injuries that are beyond our conscious ability to make a different choice. And I think that's why we commit to doing this work so that we can become more and more conscious and we can make more and more choices. But I, I genuinely think that a lot of women choose shitty quality men for themselves without actually being able to choose anything better at that given time until they know better and until they learn. And I don't think that there's much support out there for women to raise their standards in a really solid kind of way. You know, like what's normalized in our society is to actually accept very little for yourself and to absorb a lot of bad behaviors from men ever since we were little girls, you know, like getting wolf whistled at in our school uniforms and being objectified at a young age and what the porn culture is doing. Like there's a lot of messaging to women that it's just our job to tolerate bad behavior from men. And that if you stand up for yourself, you know, you get labeled as a feminist, which is a bad thing in a lot of circles. And it's not so easy to make a good choice. So I just want to, for anyone that's listening, that feels like, <laughs> like it's not an opportunity for self-blame. It's an opportunity for self-growth and self-reflection. And when we do know better, we can make better choices. And I genuinely think that if we self-reflect on every experience that we've ever had and we look at, okay, why did I experience that? Why did I let that happen? Where did I let go of my own boundaries? Where did I people please? Where did I, whatever that self-inquiry might be, as you start to take personal responsibility for the part that you played, then the next relationship that comes along is only ever better. And then you can do it again and do it again. And you can start to ascend this ladder of what's possible. And there's a you know huge, huge belief that there's no good men out there, huge. Like I hear so many women on this island saying it, there's no good men. I'm like, you are creating your reality. There are incredible men out there, but I too had to work through so many layers of family conditioning, trauma around relationship with the father figures in my life, trauma around, you know, like being with women for such a significant portion of my life meant that when I popped out the other side in my mid thirties, I kind of had to revert back to a 20 year old relationship with the masculine and then learn all of these lessons of mm. up-leveling my maturity and expectations from men because I had had so little experience. So if I go back to 20, I was a drug addict and traumatized. <laughs> so then I also have to look at that again at this age and be like, you know, what is my relationship with the masculine? Each time I did this work, each time I up-leveled, oh my God, right under my nose were those next level guys, but they had not been an, a vibrational match for me where I'd been. And so it's very easy at that level to say, oh, the men at this level are shitty. And it's all men's fault. <laughs> but then you up level and you're like, oh my God, they're right there. And then you do it again and do it again. So I think the men in your world can really be a reflection of the relationship you have with the masculine. And as you keep doing that inner work, like there are very, very good men out there. And yes, sure, they're few and far between, but they're worth waiting for. In my opinion, they're worth waiting for. Yeah, I agree. I, I get very 
annoyed with that assumption that there's no good <laughs> men here and like it's different here than anywhere else you know and yeah it's a personal responsibility thing it, that i really agree with that and and just take a good hard look at yourself every mm -hmm. time you know and i know you were supporting people in this, in in the idea that you're making the choice but maybe you don't know what's best for you but now you made the choice now you get to reflect on it and understand why you might have made that choice and that goes mm -hmm. for men and women um and and when you reflect on that you'll learn a lot mm -hmm. i have a friend that used to run men's circles here in changu and he said the men in those circles would say the same thing that say we it's a struggle to find good women and it's like well there's yeah. a whole bunch of women in changu saying it's hard to find good men and there's a whole heap of men saying it's hard to find good women why are they not finding each other and yeah it's a hundred percent a reflection of their own inner work and the expectations that you bring into relationship and are you expecting this superhuman man who does all these amazing fabulous things but are you showing up as the superhuman female are you showing up as the absolute epitome of the matured feminine as well or are you still behaving in your teenage you know psychology in many ways and operating from your subconscious and 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 using your feminine energy in hurtful ways so there i think there's a lot to learn for all of us uh through our inner relationship you know our own relationship with our feminine our own relationship with our masculine and yeah holding high standards for ourselves the number one thing that i see from women that i work with is that like they come out the other side unwilling to settle like they really up level their standards of what they can expect for themselves what they want for themselves and they will no longer concede they'll no, no longer accept less for themselves and that i'm just so happy with you know if that's the one thing that i leave as a legacy is more women who will not settle for less than they truly want then i'm super super happy about it the other thing i'm super curious with because i think you've done such a fucking fantastic job at the premature ejaculation thing is like the erectile dysfunction Actually, on a personal note, may I ask how old you are? 35. 35, so I'm 40, so we're kind of in the same bracket. My experience, I tend to date older men, and the few times that I've dated younger men, <laughs> if we go 20 years over to 20 years under, the difference in their sexual performance is out of this world. The men that have grown up non-pornified, who had a lot of their life to mature their sexuality before porn came into the picture, versus the men who were raised in a pornified culture and access to porn very early, I see a humongous, humongous difference in their relationship to their orgasms, their ability to orgasm. And like more so than not, I've, I've met men who actually can't orgasm through penetrative sex. And I'm certain that that's because they've raised, they've been raised on porn and jerking off a lot and that they've got these neurological conditionings to be able to orgasm in that particular way and not be able to get there in any other way. But I'm curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I I wouldn't agree, but I also would wonder like your data on you've never dated an older man who grew up on porn because that mm -hmm. just like hasn't happened mm -hmm. yet, right? Exactly. Yep. Um but I would assume because I consider myself someone who grew up masturbating to porn every single day for years and years, decades, and very quickly, my sexual experience changed when I stopped using porn. It's not like mm -hmm. it damaged me forever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I 
am very satisfied with my sexual experience now. And mm-hmm. um, so I don't think that that's a limiting factor um, if you've done the work, you know, if you've mm-hmm. even done one course, like, and learn how to connect to your body in a different way, you can mm-hmm. rewire your brain so fast, like in weeks. So I, I just amazing. don't, that I don't want people to think that's like a deterrent or something to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about erectile dysfunction and you talked about delayed ejaculation, that's something that I also experienced. I've experienced every performance anxiety and that's what it is. It's a performance anxiety. So mm-hmm. if I, I can remember one partner in particular, I used to have this limiting belief that I can't ejaculate if I'm wearing a condom. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a very common misconception for men. Like, oh, condoms suck and we just wanna, you know, have unprotected sex. So I told myself, I can't ejaculate if I'm wearing a condom. So as soon as I'm putting one on, it's not going to happen. Mm. That's what I decided already, you know? So I think for a lot of men, it could be, you know, that's one factor if it's a condom and they just don't believe that they can. Um, another factor would just be this pressure to ejaculate, you know, as mm-hmm. much as you think, you know, s- sex in society is all about male pleasure. Well, that also puts pressure on men to mm-hmm. ejaculate. So, you know, there's a huge study. I forget, you know, I don't have perfect stats on it, but a man's ejaculation impacts a woman's pleasure experience dramatically. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, our perception, it we tie it into our sense of self-worth or desirability. Whether that was like incepted into you or not is another thing, but it matters. Mm-hmm. So if a mm-hmm. man is worried about ejaculating or not being able to ejaculate, that is a form of performance anxiety that will perpetuate in his head and not enable him to ejaculate. So he's just thinking, fuck, I really want to come. I want to make sure that she's happy and knows that I'm, you know, attracted to her. Then he's stuck in his head. He's not going to be able to feel any pleasure. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big reason. And to me, that has nothing to do with porn. You know, mm-hmm. maybe porn has put that thought in my head that I need to ejaculate, but it's not because I watched porn that I now can't ejaculate. It was because I was so worried about not ejaculating. Do you think that it it surely contributes to people's performance anxiety, though, giving them an idea of what they think sex needs to look like? And oh yeah, that would contribute. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's a net negative in in general. Very negative. Um, It certainly put a lot of performance anxiety in into me, comparing my Mm. penis to you know, professional porn mm-hmm. star penises was not good for me mm-hmm. um, and and contributed to basically all of my performance anxieties. And so what are your beliefs about porn for your clients? What do you encourage? Oh, yeah, I definitely don't recommend watching porn. So absolute cold turkey, no porn ever more. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I'm not like, if you watch porn, you're you know, going to ruin everything. But I Mm. encourage men as they start my program from day one to stop watching porn and see what comes up for them. You know, what is, Mm. I I want them to learn why are they going to watch porn? 
you know, and mm-hmm. what habits can we put in place to kind of replace that and understand the emotions underneath why they're watching porn, not just because I'm bored. It's like, no, it's not because you're mm-hmm. bored. You know, let's let's dig a little deeper and you uncover a whole host of, of emotions that are being, you know, pushed away and uh, responsibilities that are, you know, that you don't want to do. And, and essentially it's an escape and you're running away from from something. Mm. Do you think that uh, for avoidant type personalities that porn is a, a way of getting some semblance of human intimacy without actually having the complexities of dealing with real life relationships? I don't know. I don't really have a connection to that question. Like, so I can't really relate. Mm. Um, I certainly don't feel like intimacy when I watch porn. I, I feel excitement and and arousal and sometimes like even it's comical you know it's never like oh i love the way they're holding each other like mm. which almost every woman is craving because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm i love porn. porn personally i love porn and i i think i've got a healthy relationship with it and use it in a healthy way but i also rec- recognize that it takes a, a, a certain level of self-work to be able to get to that point where you can healthily use it. Where for me, you know, one of my goals is to actually create porn, but to create very emotionally driven porn, to create a whole lot more context around it so that people can empathically like experience what oh, it's hard to explain. I think when I look at it from the feminine perspective, a lot of the resistance or uh, problems with porn is like, it doesn't feel real. You know, they look at it and they're like, oh, that's not real. And someone's body doesn't do that. And I'm like, fucking yes, it does. <laughs> but these are very very advanced states of sexuality. Like my personal expression is BDSM. So I'm very into discovering the capacities of pleasure in my body way beyond what people would think is possible. But when they watch porn, they're like, well, they feel this resistance because there's a disconnect. It hasn't shown any of the connection, the trust, the intimacy, the warm up that's needed to get to those very heightened states of arousal to be able to like gush uncontrollably and, and be multi-orgasmic like that, or to even get to the place where having a gangbang. Like, I actually think that there's probably a lot of women who deep down would crave to be fucked by five men but there is so much that needs to happen to get to the place where they feel like they could even do that, that they, they will never even uncover the desire or that even feel rejection and like, ugh, you know, resistance towards it if I was to bring it up. But if you give them the stepping stones that they need to get there, which is a lot of safety and a lot of trust and a lot of emotional connection with the masculine and a really a, a sense that you could truly surrender and be safe. I think many women would want to experience that. But if you go and look at gangbang porn, that like it's so far from what they need in order to feel good. Although I do, I know a lot of women who still enjoy that kind of porn as well. So, well, yeah, I'd love to would... watch your rendition of a gangbang <laughs> love story. <laughs> See how that looks. Yes, exactly, a gangbang love story. That's exactly right because I think that that you know you watch a movie, 
And it's so easy to get teary in a movie and to feel the emotions of those characters and to really be in that scene. And I want that for porn as well. I want <laughs> women to be like, oh my God, the way he held her, the way, you know, even to use that dumb and say, do you trust me, baby? Do you trust me? And feel her saying, yes, 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 I trust you. And then go and fuck each other like wild animals. But start with that, that emotional connection that makes people go, oh my God, I feel that. <laughs> I think there's just such a gap. Like I'm a demisexual, which means I need emotional connection to feel arousal. And so if someone hasn't like captivated my heart and can't ravish my heart, then I'm just like, I'm asexual. I feel nothing. So there's a lot of porn. I remember my previous partner sent me a porn. It was a BDSM porn. And I was just like, <gasps> I was seeing things that don't fit my, at that point, didn't fit with the things that turned me on. And I was like, basically the dominant was a female dominant with this female submissive. And she was saying she had her by the face while she was commanding another submissive to pleasure her body. And she's like, now don't come, don't come, but forcing her to come. And every time she came, she'd slap her face and say, did I tell you you could come? But she was forcing her to come. And I was like, ah, she can't be a good girl. She's getting, <laughs> like you forced her into that position where she's getting in trouble, like fuck. And it was so complex for me. And then my partner was like, wait, did you? put yourself in that scene did you put yourself in that submissive's position I was like yes of course is that not how we all watch porn do we not all like <laughs> I'm such an empath and he's like no baby <laughs> he's like I'd like you to watch that again as an observer not about your own desire spectrum but watch the connection between the two of them and watch what happens every time she slaps her face and so I was like oh okay very consciously turn off my empathy and I watched from the outside and every time that happened that submissive went wild like she got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into her eroticism it wasn't about the fact that she needed to be a good girl or a bad girl or whatever it was the dominant being so attuned to what she needed in that moment to go deeper that she was giving her what she needed he's like did you ever feel like she was going to be emotionally abandoned and I was like wow no but I couldn't see the magic of that when I was putting myself in the scene and being like, oh, I wouldn't like that. Oh, that doesn't turn me on. It was that kind of separation from it that allowed me to really witness the beauty of what BDSM can be like, of what that dominant role can really be in terms of taking someone deeper into eroticism. And so now I, you know, for me, all kinks lay on a neutral playing ground. And it's like, if this is the tool that's going to work, then you pick up this tool. If this is the tool that works, you pick up this tool. It doesn't matter if it's praise or degradation. The words that come out of my mouth, I'm actually quite impersonal to them now. You know, when I think about my own submissives and one that's got a very, very deep degradation kink, at first it was a challenge. I was like, oh, I'm not this much of a bully. <laughs> I have to think of some really harsh things to say right now. And it's a challenge to my character and who I've claimed Aaron to be and the understanding of who I want to be in the world. And when I could get beyond that and find that kind of language and then watch what that does to that submissive, oh my God, it is the most arousing thing in the world. It is such a turn on to see someone else get so pleasured. I really don't give a shit what comes out of my mouth. Now I have this whole repertoire in my mind of terrible degrading things in my head. And when I've got submissives that don't want to be degraded, I'm like, got to hold back got to hold back because I actually just want to call them filthy little sluts <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And that very may well be the thing that they do not want to hear. So, you know, that is my definition of what is a good lover is someone that's very attuned and able to read those subtleties of what is going to take you deeper into your eroticism rather than, I think, you know, if I was, again, to just generalize about the masculine, there is a great level of selflessness that needs to happen. This is just my opinion, of course. If you can entirely make it about turning on that woman and giving whatever she needs to get there, if you notice that she's in her head, stop, talk, help her get out of her head. If you notice that she lacks this particular thing to turn on, turn her body on in that way. If it takes her a long time, be patient and give her that time to get her to that state. Because once women reach that state of heightened arousal, they fucking give you everything. They want to be of service in the greatest possible way. They want to please you in every single way. But if you start taking before that, they hit that threshold, then most women kind of shut down. They don't, unless they've pre-negotiated and agreed to that, to letting you take something from them or making it about your pleasure, it can really cause a woman to contract. And I think a lot of men can't recognize those very subtle cues that, oh, she's starting to contract. Oh, she's starting to get in the head. You need to redirect. You need to slow down. You need to be able to read her to watch for the openness rather than the contraction. But if a really masterful lover can take you into that space of like extreme arousal, oh my God, we all become like the most giving, submissive whores. You know, like the, <laughs> the every single part of our heart just wants to please you and like give to you and like let you have everything that you want. And that's what I'm passionate about teaching men is like how to read women to that degree so that women can go to those states of arousal that they just never even thought was possible for them to go to those places where the mind is completely absent of thought and it's nothing but intense, passionate eroticism and connection and experience and constantly orgasmic and, you know, beyond the definitions of what we even understand orgasm to be. It's just otherworldly kind of sexual connection. I've had a big rant. I think I should give you the microphone. <laughs> well, my life hack for that is... Um... I encourage the men in my program to offer a night just for her mm. regularly, whether that's once a week, you know, once every two weeks or once a month for whatever is right for your couple or whatever. Um, but knowing that you're pleasuring your partner and that's it, that they can't touch you, that it's not going to lead to penetration and that they are the only focus however they want it um and that in my experience and opinion is is this path to wow it's it's actually just about my pleasure and and when i tell women about this or offer it to them it's like what you know like exactly. i get to have all the pleasure like it's just about me <laughs> what that foreign <laughs> land that mystical land that we didn't think was real <laughs> and oftentimes like the first time that it happens for them their hands start to wander you know they want to try and touch your penis yes. and and it's like yes. no you just be there you know and mm -hmm. and connect to your breath and 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 just mm -hmm. 
enjoy the pleasure and the sensations. And, and it does, it creates, you know, an opportunity of pleasure that might be deeper than usual. It, it shows that you care about her pleasure deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always comes back in a great way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine for many women listening that, well, many women that would put themselves in that position, the first sense that would come up is probably some sense of obligation and guilt about receiving mm-hmm. and having to do some work to be comfortable to be in that fully receptive place and not feel like they have to give back and to know that they're worthy of receiving. But I also would, as I put myself in that position, I just think, oh, there's no way that I'd be able to do that without it going further. (laughs) I'm like, if I got that much attention, oh, whore mode is activated. Now I need everything. (laughs) Right, you better put that cock inside me or I'm going to get aggressive. (laughs) Well, if you have some tools and and toys handy, then you can prevent that from happening but you can break your own <laughs> rules that's also something that happens <laughs> i also recognize that my sexuality is by no means normal or mainstream and i do not represent the vast majority of women on the planet <laughs> no i, I um, think that is actually a... quite normal is you know you're starting to mm. get oral stimulation or more and mm-hmm. you're just like okay i want everything it's like nope mm-hmm. not tonight <laughs> Yeah, we call that denial in BDSM. That's very sexy. (laughs) But, you know, I was speaking to a friend. She's a decade younger than me. She's 30. And she's somewhat absolutely brand new in my world. So she definitely hasn't been uh, exposed to the the wild, wonderful world that is Erin. (laughs) But I was explaining about someone's partner who was very resistant to trying new things and was resistant to... um, yeah, like picking up that BDSM tool or that skill because that's what his woman wanted because he didn't really like, let's say it's degradation. It's like, I don't want to call her bad names. Like, I don't think that I should do that. I don't think I, I can should. interject like, here. I have a huge mm-hmm. rejection to BDSM. Mm-hmm. And where does personally, that what are your thoughts around that? Um, I never want to hurt a woman. Mm hmm. You know, there's like women in my family who've experienced physical abuse. And to me, that's just like, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to feel that level of guilt. And um, I have done like some role play of Dom sub in in like a light Mm -hmm. sense where Mm -hmm. I did enjoy it a little bit. But as soon as it's me putting my hands on someone in a way that feels like too much, I, I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that's similar to where he was. And I think as a submissive or in that submissive role, it is not a sense of being hurt. It's not, it's erotic irony. It's the very thing that you don't want in the street. You do not want to be objectified. You do not want to be degraded. But when you feel loved and respected sexually, then it's the irony of the fact that it's because I love you and because I feel respected by you that I want you to take me to these places. And for me, it's about the embodiment of our shadow selves and embracing parts of ourselves that we don't experience out in the street. And we don't, we don't want, we work very hard. Like if I think about unworthiness as an example, you know, like I work 24 seven to feel worthy 
and to undo any conditioning that I've ever picked up in my life that I'm unworthy. But in a BDSM setting, in a negotiated structured container, to go to a place where I feel unworthy actually feels like the greatest liberation of all. The time, like I had so much resistance to going there. I had so much judgment about this whole world and it, I'm kind of like that classic homophobe that actually underneath it was gay. <laughs> I'm like, I hated BDSM. I had so much judgment of that world. And then turns out I'm the kinkiest motherfucker on the planet. <laughs> but yeah, I was like, no, why would we want to do that? There's so much violence in the world. Like who would willingly go and put themselves in a violent situation and uh, so much resistance. So I didn't want to feel unworthy. I was like, who would ever want that? Who would want to be degraded? Who would want to be humiliated? And then when I actually and tell you what it was my eroticism that led us there it was because my energy was going in that direction that my partner could read it and hold the container for that oh my god it was the most insanely pleasurable experience to be relieved of the heavy cloak of working for my worthiness that I carry all the time all that inner work that I have to do all the time and to go to a space where I'm just nothingness sitting in this absolute feeling of worthlessness and being witnessed and loved and being held in that space and to have my partner love that part of me as much as he loves every other part has carried with me through every other part of my life I now have no fear of feeling unworthy at all I don't have to work oh. for it anymore because I'm like that's the thing <laughs> that's the thing I worked 40 fucking years to avoid that was delicious I didn't want to be taken out of that space <laughs> it was like so transcendent so i understand the outsider perspective that bdsm is about hurting or is about pain or about those kind of things but actually certainly the level that i choose to approach it from it's very very different it comes from a place of absolute sacredness and and subtlety and attunement and eroticism about the joy of finding eroticism in every single aspect of my being every facet of who i am that there is not one part of me that's not welcome in this space and actually it's fun to go and say mm, how can we find that sexy how can we find that sexy and to it's like this big dark forest that everyone has told you is bad and wrong and shameful and you shouldn't go there and all the taboo realms and then when you actually find the courage to go there you're like oh my god this is nothing like what everyone said it is it's nothing like it and actually for me it's liberation so to loop right back around <laughs> i was talking about this guy that has a lot of resistance of like i don't want to call her bad names and i'm like did you see how she responded to that though do you see how she's actually asking for that or craving that and then this girl had said to me, oh, he's one of the good ones. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's not invested in his partner's turn on, in my opinion. And he's one of the good ones. And she was like, yeah, well, it's much better than a dude that wants to do things to you if you don't want it. Like a guy that's pushing you to try things that you don't want to try. And I was like, okay, Well, that's yeah, a I woman trying to push, you're trying to push a man to do something he doesn't want to try. In what sense? If, oh, if a submissive doesn't asking. feel comfortable, you know. I don't think it's pushing to ask. You can well, ask. You yeah, can of let course him know that it ask. turns you on. Yeah, but of course you can in ask. In my opinion, I don't think it's one of the good guys. <laughs> you know, I think one of the good guys is to sit there and have a really valid conversation about turn on and about sexual exploration and to say, I understand it's important to you 
and I'm curious to understand it. Even if it's not my sexual expression, I'm open to understanding it. And to, to turn sexuality into play and exploration and to, you know, I think usually if I say to someone, do you want to try this? And there's a huge resistance to it. I'm like, eh, you've got work to do. Like I never want to butt up against someone's walls. Like when exploring consciousness, when exploring sexuality, I don't like feeling like I've slammed into someone's wall. If someone comes with a really neutral sense and says, yeah, that's not for me. Like I've tried that or I've I've been, yeah, like that's not me. Oh my God, I fully respect that. Because you can Mm -hmm. see that they're, they're coming from it from a place of consciousness and they've really evaluated it but if you come up against someone's rigidity it's a sign that they haven't worked on it and they've got some deeper trigger or deeper misunderstanding underneath it that's still causing that sense of alertness in them and that I'm just like completely uninterested in if you're not a curious person and you're not willing to look at yourself and look at what's underneath that for you it's definitely not contributing to that sense of safety that I need to express my sexuality and especially being a very kinky person like I recognize that my sexual power is very intimidating to a lot of men Like, and I feel it when I have sex with women too, like there's still that little nervousness inside me every time of like, am I going to be able to please this woman? Like, I think there's some natural sense of like, oh, this is so new and it's discovering a new body for a new time and a new personality. And there's so many aspects to that. Then it happens and I'm like, Erin, you are such an idiot that you ever doubt yourself like that. (laughs) Like a good lover is a good lover. It doesn't matter which body, which anatomy, which personality the qualities that make a good lover are universal. So if you carry that with you, it's going to be a good time. Of course, we get better and more attuned to each partner as we go, but I think there is some natural sense of like, oh, it's the first time. Where's this going to go? Excuse me. But I think that if you know that someone is extreme in their sexual expression like me, and if someone brings a lot of power and confidence like me, If you haven't been to those realms, that's an incredibly intimidating place to be. You know, I imagine that a lot of men look at me and go, oh, I don't know if I can give that woman what she needs because it's, you know, I had one lover and he was fucking amazing. He was amazing. He lived with David Data for a year. You know, he was so good at the romantic, heart-centered, sacred side of things, but he couldn't go primal. He could not access that part of himself, but... He was very open and receptive and he said, I want a woman who's also capable of pushing me to grow and holding a mirror to me and letting me see where I hold myself back. And so he was very open to explore it, but he too was like, that's not what I equate love to be and I don't feel your heart in that space. And I said, well, the only reason I can go to that space is because of our hearts. (laughs) That door doesn't open if I don't feel that loving connection. So while I understand that's not what you equate with love up until this point, that's not actually an accurate perception of whether you can feel my heart there or not. Because for me, primal is only something I will share with a very heart-connected, heart-safe partner. So, yeah, I'm grateful for the men that are willing to go there, especially when it's outside of their comfort zone. And like I said at the beginning, I think it's an amazing realm to learn about ourselves and to grow and to to look at our inner world through the lens of the most vulnerable states we can be in, which is our sexuality. But yeah, for me, my personal desire is to make everything erotic. (laughs) Every goddamn thing in this world erotic. (laughs) Yeah, I I just think 
I appreciate everything you shared. And I, I really liked that explanation of BDSM for you and, and where it could take you. And, and I really do appreciate that. I admittedly like haven't done a lot of research. I haven't done a lot uh, to experience it myself either. When I think of BDSM, I immediately go to like the pain part of like mm -hmm. hitting someone or, mm -hmm. you know, using a paddle. And that's just like personally what I don't, I know that I don't like. So for mm -hmm. me, it's, it's like genital compatibility, just like mm -hmm. any sort of sexual compatibility. Like there mm -hmm. will be people who don't want to like hit you with a paddle and mm -hmm if that's really important to you, then like maybe there, it's just not a match and that that's totally mm -hmm. okay. You know, it's mm -hmm. not because they're not willing to meet you. It's like, no, they literally just, that's not for them. Exactly. Um, and, and that's perfectly okay. Yeah. And see, so, I'm not actually a masochist. Pain is not a part of my arousal at all, <clears throat> but I sometimes reach states where I want it. And those states are ones where the body is so the body has changed biochemically to reach that place where we are flooded with endorphins and feel-good chemicals and then the sensation of pain is not interpreted as pain and it's actually pleasurable and like that dominant who could slap that girl's face and take her deeper each stroke of the paddle if that's not making you absolutely fucking drip every time then you're doing it wrong and this is where mm. most people don't understand is that like a good spanking I really, really want to teach about good spankings. <laughs> a good spanking is so powerful emotionally, mentally, and physically. When I wrote a post on my Instagram that said, if only men knew the difference, if only more men knew the difference of when we needed a cuddle and when we need our attitude spanked out of us. And my friend was like, literally, please teach this, Erin. I was like, oh God, I should. And so I've been asking my friends, when do you want to cuddle and when do you want to spank? And I've got some really fucking fantastic answers from people. And the two that really stand out is one friend said, when my energy is outwards and kind of explosive outwards, that's when I need a spank. And when my energy is inwards and downwards, that's when I need a cuddle. And then another friend said, when I'm in my head, I need a spanking to get back in my body. And when I'm in my heart, I want to cuddle. And I was like, Ugh. It is just such a powerful tool. When I think about the times that I really need a fucking spank, it is the most, oh, how would I describe that feeling? There's something, I'm going to use the word thuddy, which is a very common word in BDSM to describe people's relationship to the kind of pain that they like, but there is something thuddy about it. There's something bassy and grounding and solid and I never want it to sting and I never want it to hurt, but I want to feel that vibration, that grounded, grounding, grounded and grounding vibration through my body, through the hands of someone that I love to the point where I'm so fucking orgasmic that as soon as you touch me with your fingers, I'm gone. Like that, that's what it has the power to do is to take all of that energy and like have this expression point for me when I reach that place. And if I say hurt me, and that was always a code word that, whoa, we're in that realm. And that's a very, very fucking sacred realm. Like if we get to the point that I say hurt me. And when I would feel something whip across my skin, it literally released the orgasmic energy from my body. It's in those states where I'm so full of orgasm that I can't, 
I'm like a fucking animal in a cage. It just like cannot get it out of me. Like I cannot release as as much as I'm feeling. I'm just like, ah. And then that one whip is an orgasm across my back. Like my back is orgasming. And this is a state that I think many people don't even realize that they can reach. Like it's so far away from pain or hurting someone. It's, it, it's again, I think it's that erotic irony. You know, it's the fact that the whole world is flipped on its head when we're in these realms and that what can be deemed, like if someone fucking whipped me in the street on my back, I'd fucking lose my shit and probably punch someone out of a response, you know, a backhand, wherever that came from. Like, don't you dare hurt me. And I love myself. I fucking love who I am these days. And I never want to hurt myself. You know, I never want to, like when I think back to when I was young and an addict and I hated myself and there was such a a self-sabotaging essence to everything that I was doing everything was harming myself in one way, shape or form because I didn't love myself. And now I'm in a place where I love myself so much. I don't want to cause any harm or hurt to myself. That's, that's in those realms too. Like it's, it, and I, I do admit that that's not the case for everyone in BDSM. And there are a lot of people using it as a means for self harm and to punish themselves. But again, if we're doing that in consensual ways with people who love and respect us, then I can also understand that that's an outlet. You know, if people are self-harming, there was a time when my mum was living in Mongolia and she was working with some street kids and she said she saw this little boy cutting. And she's like, how does this boy know how to cut himself? Like, he's, he never would have been exposed to that concept on TV. He wouldn't hear about that from anyone else. It's just this little boy that's suffering, that's in deep emotional pain, who has worked out how to cut himself because my mum was also struggling with the same thing. So she really saw or felt herself through, well, the humanity of that experience, that deep internal pain can lead some people to externalize that pain as a coping strategy. Mm. So I do also want to give grace to those people who do use BDSM as a form of that, of helping them deal with very complicated or painful inner states and that that might be a healthier outlet for them to go and have a whipping or have a paddling from someone in a consensual, loving environment where they're, they've agreed to it, where they're both getting mutual benefit from it, where there's aftercare. You know, that has got to be such a better experience to be in that shared moment with someone that cares about you than to be you know on the street and cutting so yeah that's a hundred percent deep conversation we're having wow (laughs) (laughs) i like that it's come up i like that this is turning into a very long conversation but a very good and juicy one (laughs) i um i i resonated a lot with what you brought up before around um knowing when to spank and when to cuddle Mm. I think if I consider some of my personal experiences with spanking, it was usually the wrong time, you know? Mm. And it's like something in foreplay when it should be maybe something that's like deep, deep in the, you know, Mm -hmm. primal states of Mm -hmm. arousal and not like to Mm -hmm. get started. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's something that I definitely will test and consider and and i know 
it's like when you said when you're in those states where you're like hurt me like that's when there's this like trigger of like yes like just do anything mm -hmm. kind of thing and yes. like be primal yeah. and just like take me um mm -hmm. and that resonates a lot when i think of those states of like yep i i could see how like that's when maybe choking or spanking mm -hmm. is like at its most potent yes. and, and powerful place. So yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. And women's arousal is like a staircase, you know, and often if we're starting from stone cold and, you know, they often relate to women's turn on being like boiling water, it takes longer to get to that boil. But once you're there, you can stay in that state for a long time. Whereas men are more like this spark of fire that can get turned on very quickly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, recognizing where in that turn on spectrum women are is also what I think makes a good lover is for men to be able to read. Okay. She's stone cold right now. She's not turned on at all. She's in her head. She's been in her stress. She's been managing all her stuff from her day. Like we're not going to be able to jump in the bed and just get turned on immediately. Like. That might be when we take it slow and when I spend time massaging you and not going anywhere near your pussy yet, just really slowly warming you up and bringing you into your body. And then we start ascending that staircase. And then when you're there and you're starting to show signs of arousal and your body's looking turned on, maybe then I start to touch your breasts and your pussy. And then you start getting turned on more and you're really wet and then we can move into penetration. You know, I think also as women giving ourselves permission of like sweet i don't have to go there when my turn on's not there yet and there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with me that i might not even get to that level of turn on this time that maybe for me i'm just sitting in that mid-range level and so it'll just be pretty basic sexuality tonight where we can just enjoy oral sex with each other and a bit of penetration but i'm nowhere near that primal realm like we're definitely don't you dare choke me tonight or spank me or like yeah you know you, having you that time that wrong and it can be yeah absolute shutdown like it would work you know, like last week but uh, it's like no <laughs> not the right time which is why i don't believe so much in teaching technique because like all the good technique in the world is gonna go out the fucking window if you time it wrong if you mm. spend too much time really delicately touching and kissing her when actually she's already like an animal and being like mate take me fucking take me this is boring like if you spend too much time between my legs i'm bored and my head's gonna check out and you're just you've lost me or vice versa. If you go too fast, too hard, too quick, and they're not ready for that. And then it's also just like ugh, contraction and protect myself. It's a very, you know, I think with women, you can absolutely master the eroticism of one woman and just know exactly how to please her, how to turn her on the things that she likes. And then you get another woman and you're like, fuck, I know nothing. Everything that works for this woman does not work for this woman. And now it's a whole new playground, which is what I think is enjoyable. Like get to learn to crack the code of that woman. Look at that as an exciting thing, not as a, a scary, intimidating thing of like, I don't know how I'm going to please this woman. And again, those skills of negotiation and talking about it and ask, it's so simple to say to a woman, how do you like to come? What normally makes you come? Yeah. Like, she's going to give you the keys. <laughs> you just need to ask. She will tell you exactly how she likes it. <laughs> if you've just got the courage to ask and the comfort to have those conversations and not be intimidated by those conversations. I had one more question that just popped up. Did you have anything that you wanted to share or ask or any thoughts while I try and rack my brain? Mm. No, nothing specific. Mm. The, the question might have gone. I might have lost my grip on it. 
Um, actually, well, do you want to share a little bit more, anything else about erectile dysfunction that you think that the audience would really benefit in knowing, especially from the perspective of the feminine and dealing with men who might be, or like being with lovers who might, what's the best thing that we can do for them? Yeah, that's one of my favorite topics to be able to share uh, how women can support men with performance anxiety, uh, whether it's premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. I think I want to preface by saying I understand it would be frustrating and um, it it's not ideal. I, I totally understand that and it's okay to not be happy with the situation. But at the same time, I really want you to consider the man and, and what he's going through because what might be just a little bit of disappointment for you in terms of getting pleasure, his entire confidence and like self-worth is on the line. So mm -hmm. if you, you know, make a comment or, you know, you're very visibly upset and, and disappointed, it's really going to hurt him. You know, and, mm -hmm. and to be like, what, what's happening? Why aren't you hard? Like this never happens mm -hmm. to other guys or, you know, mm. something like this is, is really it's the safety piece. damaging. Yeah. It's about and, us and providing this... safety. Because imagine a man saying that, why aren't you wet? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you not turned yeah, on? Yeah, my, like, my other partners always are wet. You'd be like, yes. are you fucking kidding me? Like Exactly. So exactly. Men... Any kind of shaming is incredibly damaging i think women don't really understand how much this impacts men and how much of yeah like our identity rides on our sexual experience so just one mm -hmm. like off comment one you know like oh again you know like mm -hmm. how is he gonna feel safe to have sex with you again after that it's not mm -hmm. really possible so i would mm -hmm. really invite women to consider this and also understand that it's pretty normal for a man to experience performance anxiety given all the pressure we have and the conditions mm. at play it's not like I, of course you want him to be amazing in bed right off the bat but there's a chance that the reason why he is experiencing performance anxiety is because he actually just likes you so much and sees that there's a potential future with you and he doesn't want to mess it up. So the pressure mm. isn't a, anything to do with him being bad at sex, but he's worried about messing it up with you, which is pretty endearing, honestly, right? Like mm. it's, it's not like, oh, he's never had sex and he's terrible at it. It's like, no, he just really, really cares about you and he wants it to be good and he's worried about it not being good, which mm -hmm. again, isn't ideal. But if that's the case, like I want women to understand the other side, like, oh, okay, well, what would he need in that moment? Like he needs to feel safe. He needs to know that you've experienced performance anxiety sometimes. Sometimes you're in your head and can't orgasm or you don't mm -hmm. feel pleasure or you're just like self-conscious about your body and, and not having, you know, you're, you're much more in your head than, than feeling pleasure. And that can just disarm a man so much to know like, oh, it's not just me who's a little bit nervous. Like, oh, you're also a little bit nervous. And then 
being able to kind of have a conversation about sex beforehand and not be hiding anything. Hey, these are my likes. These are my dislikes. Sometimes I get nervous when I really, really like someone. And also when it's the first time we're sleeping together. Um, so yeah, th those are some of the things I think the number one is like having that conversation before and, uh, mm. but, but yeah, for that shock of when it happens in person to, to not freak out, to not like make a big deal of it. If you're able to actually comfort him and, and be like, oh, this is totally fine. Like it's mm -hmm. normal. This is, this is not something to be, you know, ashamed of and, and to be able to like, just talk about it openly instead of maybe like pretending like nothing happened or, um, or just being like visibly mm -hmm. upset and annoyed. Mm -hmm. uh, I think these are yeah. like huge things that you can do because like I said, I think it's normal, especially if a guy really, really cares about a woman to, to put that pressure on themselves and for a woman to like write a guy off just because he had one, you know, mm -hmm. kind of nervous sexual experience, I think would be a big mistake because maybe it would take like for some men, some women, three, four times to feel really comfortable having sex with someone and open up like a whole new world of sexual experience. So I also mm -hmm. think there's an element of patience of, yeah, being able to, to really get to know each other sexually. And that might take more than one time and it might not just be first time you have sex is the best sex you've ever had together. Mm -hmm. So do you think that a man can be high desire, high levels of erotic energy still present and not be hard? Yeah, it happens to me. If I put myself mm -hmm. in a situation where I don't feel safe and I haven't spoken to it, it's going to be very, mm -hmm. very possible that I'm just not aroused. And so there's still your desire for that woman, your erotic feelings towards her and wanting to be in that erotic space. Those, those elements are still present, even if there's no erection. Yeah. So I could detail like one experience in particular where I'm so attracted to this woman physically. If I think about her, I could get an erection and, and in person, mm -hmm. of course, the same, um, so all of the desire was there, but then the energetics of how I was interacting with her didn't, mm -hmm. wasn't what I wanted. And we hadn't talked mm -hmm. about it beforehand. So mm -hmm. it was just like, whoa, I'm really attracted to this woman. She's right in front of me. I've thought about this for a long time, but the energetics are so off that I'm like nowhere mm -hmm. close to aroused. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm that you know i like to be teased and i like a more sensual and so if a woman's kind of like mm -hmm. give me that grabbing at me i'm mm. like whoa no way <laughs> like yeah yeah slow down i need to be like worked up and then if it feels like then that there's pressure like come on i'm mm -hmm. ready it's like no mm -hmm. i'm not you mm -hmm. know so mm -hmm. it had nothing to do with physical attraction and only to do with just this like energetic mismatch in terms of what 
I didn't share what I wanted in that, mm. in, in that moment mm. or beforehand. Um, and it wasn't until after that I was like, oh, you know, I, I just want to talk about this and let you know. Um, so yeah, it can definitely happen. Mm. The reason that I ask is the only times that I've experienced a man that's not hard is like most of the men that I sleep with are multi-orgasmic. And so in that refractory period between one orgasm and the next is this window where you have a soft cock present. And for me, that hasn't been a factor because we're still riding those waves of eroticism. We're still enjoying each other's bodies. We're still, you know, connected sexually, emotionally, energetically, that there's so much more of the anatomy to enjoy and to be present with, but like, fine we've got a soft cock at this moment, but we still have every other part of our body to enjoy. So it's never been something that's been separate from desire or eroticism. But I imagine that sometimes it might be an indicator that it's not really there between us. And I've taken you home and I don't really, you know, like I think that's the same for a lot of women's turn on is like, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's maybe just an indicator that this person isn't right for you in this moment of time, or you've gone on a date and then you've gone back to their house, but you're just really not feeling it. And it's okay to take that as a sign of like, okay, this is also maybe a mismatch, but it's good to hear that it's true from your side as well, that sometimes there's just no hard cock present, but all the other elements still are. So there's plenty to enjoy and experience rather than thinking, okay, this is a write-off now. I'm going to be unsatisfied because you've failed me in some way because you're not hard when I need you to be hard or you can't give it to me how you I want you to give it to me. But instead, just like open the spectrum of what else we can do to enjoy each other and the communication piece, like you said, like, can we slow down? Can we be more sensual? Can I please your body instead of you having to worry about mine? Mm -hmm. Like when I think about the times that there's been a soft cock present, I feel this like, oh, this warm, fuzzy, I love it. I love it. Like I've never, ever felt judgment towards a soft cock in that way. I've just been like, it is just as welcome here. And I love that part of your body just as much as when it's hard. Like there's, there's in my mind, there is not a sense of this is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. That's the anatomy that we're working with right now. That's the anatomy that we're working with right now. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So, I appreciate that oh, support. Go ahead. No, I was just <laughs> we need a soft nice. cocks club, a soft cock lovers club. <laughs> celebrate yeah. the soft cocks out there and celebrate the, the pussies that aren't turned on. I was showing some porn to my roommate as an example of like what I disagree with. And there was, um, it was porn that was made by normal couples and, I know that they probably were like, wow, we're like so advanced. We have our porn on Pornhub. It was from a brand called Lustery, which is no acting, no scripting. And so I think it's great that that's out there. But I was watching this scene and I was like, she is not turned on. Like I could see that body and specifically look at that pussy and say, that's not a turned on pussy. Mm. It was not engorged. It was not pink. It was not glistening. It just, I was like, and, and just because I work up. energetically too. Yeah, and I could see like the body. She was not circulating sexual energy throughout the entirety of her system through her circulatory and energetic systems. And I was like, this is what a lot of people think sex can be. This just pretty superficial, like I'll kiss you and then I'll finger you and then you can suck my cock and then I'll go down on you and then I'll fuck you like this and you can have an orgasm and then I'll fuck you like that so I can have an orgasm and we're done. 
you know, just this standard sequence <clears throat> of kissing to oral to penetration to done. And I'm just like, my God, there is so much more available to you, but this does not look like a turned on body. And so for yeah. me, there is no way I would have penetrated that woman yet. I w there is no way. There's one point where he's just fingering her, but he was not touching any other part of her body. None. And then when he penetrated her, he still was not touching any other part of her body. And I'm like, mate, you should have your hands all <laughs> over that woman. Like move that energy, let her feel pleasure in every single part of her skin, you know, use your nails, use your grabbing, like find a way to start like using this entire thing as a sexual organ, not just her pussy. <laughs> mm. But, you know, again, that just seems to be the pretty mainstream, right? Like that couple obviously think their sex life is good enough to submit their porn to lustry for the world to see. But in my heart, I was raging like, no, this is not good enough. <laughs> we need to advocate for more of this. <laughs> so learning to read someone's anatomy like that as well and being like, okay, cool. This isn't engorged. There's a reason for that. And yep. we have the rest of the fucking body as a sexual organ. Like I can orgasm from my feet, <laughs> which is insane, yeah. but absolutely possible. It's like you can wire your nervous system in a way that the entire thing is carrying orgasmic energy and in those heightened states if you grab my feet in the right way if you stick your nails into my feet it will make me come it's like it doesn't matter if my pussy's <laughs> like out of action for whatever reason i've got the rest of my body ready to go <laughs> some of your listeners just taking notes yeah, like, yeah exactly oh, good to know <laughs> i am going to create a sex school I'm going to teach people how to actually do these things on a practical, physical level too. So anyway, I'm aware that we have talked for so long. I've loved every fucking second of it. Thank <laughs> you so much for giving me so much of your time this morning. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I would love you to share. I'm sure that everyone listening has just got so many fucking takeaways. But it, given that we've got a large majority of feminine listeners, is there a way that they could present your work to someone in their life in a really empowering way like what's the best way to bring you into their world should they think that their man would be a great client for you yeah I think that's a tricky one and I would be a very conservative in that way I personally if if let's just say you came to me and said hey my partner uh, is really struggling I want to just like give him your website um I wouldn't recommend that right away. Like I would recommend having that Agreed. open conversation first of seeing if you can get him to open up to you about it. Cause mo most men in my experience, like they don't want to talk about this. They want to sweep it under the rug. They want to like fix it without you knowing it, even though of course, you know, um, but they don't want to admit to the problem. So being able to kind of disarm that bomb and be like, it's okay. And I experience it too. And, you know, I think one of the, the best ways that a woman can bring awareness to a man is to share of their own deepening of their sexuality. So, Hey, I'm working with, uh, you know, or not even tell them that they're working with someone, but mm -hmm. they're embodying it right? Like, wow, what's different mm -hmm. with, with you recently? Oh, well, I've been, mm -hmm. you know, deeping my, my connection to myself and my sexuality and learning about shame and, you know, releasing guilt. And then, you know, is that something that you want to talk about or learn more about and, and just kind of try to open up the conversation of getting your man to be comfortable talking about his discomforts, 
-hmm. you know, I think that would be like the most amazing step. And that's something you definitely don't want to ever talk about in the bedroom because that could feel like mm -hmm. pressure. Agreed. Um, Great. Great but point. if you talk about it at the coffee shop when you're both laughing and smiling and like, hey, like I wanted to, you know, have a fun chat about sex and and then kind mm -hmm. of bring it in in a way that's not like, let's talk about your problem, you know, and yeah, more about indirect. Like, yeah. Can like yeah. sharing about our likes, our dislikes or you know, mm -hmm. what worked for you that one time and, and what didn't work for you that other time and how could mm -hmm. I make you feel more comfortable? I think these are ways to like get the ball rolling. And then if they're starting to take an interest of like, yeah, this is something I would really love to work on, then that's when I would say, sure, you could, you know, show them my YouTube page um, or, you know, watch a video together to kind of see if it resonated. Mm -hmm. And then if they felt like they resonated with me and wanted to work with me deeper then they could book a call with me i've got two ideas running through my head <laughs> number one the first thing is as a coach it's a very powerful coaching skill like we know that if you tell a client the answer the likelihood of them uptaking that answer is like 30 percent if you let the client get to that conclusion on their own the uptake of that answer is like 90 percent. so it's always more powerful to ask questions in a, a curious kind of way that leads someone to their own conclusion. And so I imagine in this circumstance, it's exactly the same. If we come in pointing the finger, you've got a problem, you need to work on this, you need to get a men's coach. We're like shutting the door to potential oh, massively. But yeah. if, yeah, if we question it in a way that's like, have you ever considered this? Or like, I'm curious, or I'm thinking about doing this for myself. And it's not ever pointing the finger at someone and blaming them, but instead opening wide and opening that possibility that the uptake is likely much higher. The second idea that I just had is that you should start getting some sponsored ads out there and girlfriends can talk into their boyfriend's phone and be like, contact Alex Grundy, contact Alex Grundy. <laughs> and the sponsored ads to pop up. And then it just subtly shows up in their world of like, hmm. Men's coaching, men's sex coaching. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. I like it. Yeah. So what kind of, you you're, you work one-on-one -on -one with clients? Do you have programs No, well? I have a group program. So I work okay. uh, with a community of men. And, and I've found that that is, is one of the biggest things that helps release shame and guilt is being able to actually share it mm. in front of other men something that Beautiful. I'm usually the first person that they ever tell. So then to just like bust out of that and, and be like, Hey, this is mm. me. This is what I've experienced. And, um, to also have this community of men who are having results and seeing success and knowing that, Oh, Whoa, this guy just joined. And now he's having this, like, of course I can do this. So I think it really inspires and, and kind of builds on itself as opposed to just hearing it from me. Um, so yeah, the, that's, that's my main system and, and it's a, a three month program. Amazing. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes for all the ways that they can contact you and see your content and hear more. But again, thank you so much. I think when conversations go this far over time, it's a great sign of alignment <laughs> and like, how much goodness there was to share, but no doubt this is going to benefit people in a multiplicity of ways. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing all your wisdom. Thank you for having me. It was super fun. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Romantic Hardcore. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. Find me via Instagram at Erin Kiner and come and share the love. Let me know what you loved, what triggered you, what questions you have. I want to know it all. Make sure you subscribe and share this episode. And until next time, laugh loud and fuck louder.